In these extraordinary times, that is meaning that means it's time, I should say, for legally speaking with Michael Mulligan, barrister and solicitor with Mulligan Defense Lawyers, as we benefit from his analysis and insight on the latest in legal affairs this week. Michael Mulligan, a pleasure. Good morning. Thank you very much for having me. Very nice to be here. I would imagine that the courts are having to resort to extraordinary measures in these extraordinary times to ensure the dispensation of justice is continued. What is going on? Well, the, the various levels of court have been uh, working, I think, pretty well continuously trying to adapt to um, the requirements of COVID-19. Um, and there was just a, an announcement uh, just released um, uh, from the British Columbia Court of Appeal in terms of how that court is going to be able to uh, resume essentially full functioning uh, without uh, putting anyone at risk. Um, the uh, intention, and this will begin on May the 4th, um, is that uh, the court will uh, recommence dealing with uh, all matters, not simply uh, emergency hearings, uh, and they're going to do so using Zoom. Um, and the uh, Court of Appeal uh, issued a uh, directive in terms of how that is all going to occur. Um, it is going to be mandatory, and it is now mandatory that uh, material with the Court of Appeal be filed uh, electronically. Uh, and then uh, all hearings are going to uh, proceed using uh, Zoom technology to make um, submissions. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, applications are called chambers applications, something that's not a full hearing, but sort of a procedural application. Uh -huh. uh, those are going to occur by telephone. Um, so it's uh, uh, very interesting to read all of the specifics of that. Uh, they include things like, uh, even people who are unrepresented are going to be expected to uh, use Zoom to participate. Uh, hearings are not going to be uh, adjourned simply because somebody might uh, prefer to attend uh, in person to make um, submissions. Uh, things are going to be back at full speed, at least in the Court of Appeal, uh, operating in that fashion, which is, I think, uh, great to see. Now, that, that same process uh, hasn't been adopted by the trial courts, and there are a few reasons for that. Uh -huh. um, one of the reasons, there's a constitutional impediment that would, would be uh, at play depending on how uh, it was done. The constitutional issue uh, would arise from Section 11D of the Charter, which says this, uh, any person charged with an offense has the right to be presumed innocent until proven guilty according to law in a fair and public hearing by an independent and impartial tribunal. We don't have secret trials in Canada. Um, now, that same that constitutional uh, imperative uh, isn't something which would apply on an appeal, because an appeal isn't just a, a do-over. If somebody doesn't like uh, the result and they were convicted at trial or don't like that they've been found liable or something, um, you can't simply say, well, I'm just going to go and try again uh, off in the Court of Appeal. Uh, the Court of Appeal uh, would deal with uh, reviews of decisions made by trial judges or uh, verdicts and jury cases, but uh, they're analyzing it from the perspective of, you know, did the judge make a legal error uh, or was there some fundamental misunderstanding of the evidence, that sort of thing. It's not simply a do-over. Uh -huh. And for that reason as well, the Court of Appeal isn't dealing with things like uh, live witnesses. Um, they're going to be dealing with things like a transcript of the uh, trial, uh, written argument, and then by Zoom, now the what was the oral argument in person will all be conducted uh, in that um, fashion. Um, 
the other thing, which was interesting, and we'll see how this uh, plays out, the court has also said there'll be some follow-up in terms of um, the sort of the procedure for these Zoom hearings and what's expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a, uh, some listeners might uh, recall, there was a, a judge in the U.S. recently that uh, admonished counsel who were appearing by Zoom there to make sure that they're out of bed and properly dressed start showing up in court making submissions by Zoom. So I, there, I just, there will be some requirements here. That boggles my mind. You know, as a layperson, in my imagination, a courtroom is nothing if not a place of decorum and, and solemn observance of the magnitude and gravity of the power that the courts wield. Any person who thinks it's appropriate to literally be in bed while making submissions before an honorable court, I have to question their judgment overall, Mike. I, that's probably true. I, I recall uh, last month, though, uh, Walmart uh, reported that they had seen an uptick in the sale of uh, shirts, like tops, they described them, and an uptick <laughs> in the sale of pants and other bottoms. The thesis was that people were working from home appearing by video. They didn't need to worry about taking off their sweatpants. They're just putting on a shirt with a tie, and off they go to work. That is very funny. At least they don't have the electronic uh, a Snapchat filter or whatnot to put a person in a shirt and tie yet. But I suspect someone somewhere is toiling over code that will do just that. The, the other thing I think will be interesting to see is what, even though they don't have that same constitutional imperative to have a, uh, an open trial, um, Zoom, of course, does permit things like uh, the recording of the meeting. Yes. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what the Court of Appeal chooses to do with that. Because, of course, even though it may not be a constitutional requirement, uh, we don't have secret justice in Canada, uh, and people are free, reporters or otherwise, are free to go in and watch uh, an appeal, and watch the oral argument. Yes. Um, the Supreme Court of Canada, for example, uh, they broadcast everything. They have an automated, automated uh, TV camera system. Whoever is speaking, the camera just focuses on them, uh, and then that's broadcast on TV. You can go to the Supreme Court of Canada website and watch the uh, oral argument. Uh, and so uh, it would seem to me, given that that's a, a function built into Zoom and it's a regular process in the Supreme Court of Canada where there's no concern about uh, witnesses being intimidated or uh, you know that sort of thing, concerns that might apply in um, uh, trial courts, um, it would seem to me to be uh, good practice if the Court of Appeal uh, decides to simply record the oral arguments using Zoom. It can put them up on uh, its website uh, and any member of the public that wanted to uh, go and watch what was said or the questions that were asked uh, would be freely, have that freely available. So I think this is a great use of technology by the Court of Appeal. It's uh, good. They're going to be back at uh, going uh, full tilt, uh, and uh, hopefully they do it in a way where uh, anyone who's interested can just... Uh, uh, log on and uh, watch what's going on there. Now, as a journalist who has covered legal matters from time to time in this province over the years, I am accustomed to paying the $6 fee for document retrieval online. I wonder if that would apply to Zoom recorded proceedings. Yeah, that's an interesting fee, I've got to say. Uh, you know, you, you have to pay that fee if you want to get a copy of uh, electronic filings in civil cases, for example. Those mm-hmm. are, again, public. We don't have secret um, secret things going on in court. No good comes of that. Um, but it would seem to me there's, there's no need to apply a, a cost uh, to that. It, it wouldn't be a, a great technological feat to simply select the record option on Zoom. Uh, the Court of Appeal has a robust uh, website. Um, you know, just like they uh, post uh, uh, decisions uh, when they come out, so anyone can go and read those. Um, it seems to me that uh, they've got all of this technology uh, working. It wouldn't require much to simply record the hearing. 
uploaded to the website. Uh, and uh, if anyone is interested in reporting on it or perhaps having a hard time falling asleep some night, uh, they could uh, just click on the Court of Appeal website and listen to your oral argument. <laughs> oh, Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers. Let's take a quick break. Legally Speaking will return in just a moment here on CFAX 1070. We continue with Legally Speaking here at CFAX 1070 as all of us do our best to deal with the realities required by the physical distancing guidelines and advice provided by public health officials both here in British Columbia as well as beyond. Michael, another story that we're looking at this week, a prolific offender in terms of fisheries getting bail post-COVID-19. What's the story? Uh, indeed. Uh, well, this is a fellow who was uh, charged with various offenses under the Fisheries Act. Uh, those include things like being on board a fishing vessel when not allowed to be, uh, being in possession of fishing gear, uh, and possessing crabs. And you might uh, wonder, uh, you know, just how deep in the glue can somebody get for doing things like possessing crabs and fishing without the required authorization? Yeah. Uh, well, for this particular fellow, he wound up being held in jail uh, as a result uh, of that uh, collection of uh, charges. And you might wonder how in the world could somebody wind up uh, actually in prison uh, for things of that sort? Well, the uh, judge in this case uh, described uh, uh, why it was that it was not unreasonable for the Crown to be, as the judge described, vexed by this person's series of convictions. I like that word. Vexed is such a good word. (laughs) This fellow had been convicted apparently 11 times uh, in Nanaimo, Victoria, and Surrey, for various fisheries offenses and wound up over a period of years getting uh, increasingly long sentences, including 45 days in jail, 60 days, 80 days, all for fisheries-related things. Seems like that's all he does. So back at the beginning of March, uh, he got arrested for this series of, you know, possessing crabs and being on the boat and so forth, uh, and he had a bail hearing in front of a provincial court judge to determine does he have to remain in jail until he's going to get his trial to determine whether he did indeed possess said crabs? Uh, And at that time, the provincial court judge concluded that he just needed to be detained. And the reason for the detention was referred to as the secondary ground. And what that means is that uh, there are various specific reasons why a judge could conclude somebody has to remain in jail waiting for their trial. The primary ground would be if a judge is persuaded the person is just going to take off. It isn't going to be there, right? Yes, yes. So the secondary ground would be a concern about whether there would be a, a danger posed by the person committing further offenses. Mm-hmm. And that, indeed, is why this fellow with 11 prior fisheries convictions uh, wound up getting held in jail. As the judge concluded, probably not unreasonably, hey, if I let this guy out, we may have, you know, number 13. He's accused of number 12. So in he went. Uh, And then this case, then COVID-19, of course, exploded. And so this case uh, that uh, was released recently was what's called a uh, a bail review. Uh And a bail review is like uh, an appeal that we were talking about earlier uh, to the B.C. Supreme Court, usually. uh, And it's to review uh, whether somebody, whether a decision to detain somebody um, should be revisited. And just like on an appeal from a conviction, it's not a matter of just going and saying, let me try that again, maybe a different judge will, you know, look more kindly on my crabbing uh, offenses. Um, A judge would need to be persuaded that there was an error made, something was, a decision was completely inappropriate, or, as in this case, there was a change in circumstances. And so the thrust of this person's argument was, 
hey, there's been a change in circumstances, all right. COVID-19 has exploded since the beginning of March. And so the way this hearing proceeded, they had the judge said both counsel were at home by phone. Um, So I guess they're by phone. Maybe they didn't need to get out of bed. Hard to know. The the judge says he was at home. um, Unclear where he's sitting. Uh, And then they had uh, the accused fishing person uh, attend by video link from the jail into a courtroom in Vancouver where the court clerk was present. And the court clerk would be, you know, running the recording equipment, making notes, keeping the court file updated. And so that's how they got everyone together. And so they conducted this bail review to determine, hey, has thing, have things changed uh, since the provincial court judge ordered this person detained? And indeed, the Supreme Court judge found that they have changed. And the reason they've changed is because of COVID-19, and there's been a large number of cases that have just been adjourned or put off um, as a result of being unable to conduct the trials. And now at this point, the judge said, look, no one can reasonably know when this guy is going to actually get his trial to deal with whether he was fishing improperly on this occasion. Mm. We don't know how long that's going to be. And the concern raised there is that you could have somebody who spends more time waiting in jail for their trial than the sentence they might receive if indeed they were convicted of the various, you know, crabbing and fishing offenses. Yes. And so on that basis, the judge found that this is a material change in circumstances. We have no idea when this guy's going to get his trial. And so the judge ordered uh, that uh, he be released. He was released on house arrest, effectively. He's got to go to Nanaimo and live with his mother, who's going to act as a surety. And he's got to remain in this house for basically 24 hours a day unless he has permission from a bail supervisor to go out and do uh, specific things. So presumably he won't be catching any crabs from his house, uh, but uh, we're not going to keep uh, the alleged uh, unlawful crabber in jail for some unknown period of time uh, waiting for a trial, which we do not know when that's going to occur uh, because we haven't got those happening by Zoom yet. Family law, I've been told any number of times by lawyers over the years, can be among the most difficult to practice given the enormous emotional stakes that are held by the participants in some hearings. For example, there's a story that we're going to be discussing next about which conditions may or may not justify someone refusing to return a child over mere concerns about contact with COVID-19. Set this one up for us. You're quite right. Um, I mean, for many people, uh, the things like being able to see their child is going to rank right up there with, uh, in some cases, uh, be more important than things like, am I going to be convicted of a a criminal offense, right? Yes, yes. And so uh, this was a case where there was an application to a judge asking that there be an urgent hearing uh, to deal with the issue of whether um, a, a child should be returned in accordance with a court order. Uh, and the basics of it was that, uh, or underlying this dispute or concern here, was that the mother of the child uh, was wanting to take uh, full custody of the child, not allow the father to have uh, custody uh, or access to the child, um, on the basis uh, of a generalized concern that the uh, child's, the grandmother, the uh, mother of the, uh, the father of the child, um, that she worked as a caregiver to seniors. Um, and so the mother was concerned uh, that uh, uh, the father should not uh, be able to care for the child uh, lest there be a general concern that because the uh, uh, grandma uh, worked in that capacity 
that could somehow put the child at risk. Yes. Uh, the uh, judge concluded that no, that wasn't uh, appropriate. The judge also said that uh, essentially this. It says, the judge said, unless the parents have a, uh, some specific reason to withhold the child on valid medical grounds as opposed to a parent's subjective opinion, the parent should comply with an existing court order uh, and you just cannot have people deciding on sort of a generalized anxiety about uh, COVID-19 to say, I'm not going to uh, comply. Um, and so uh, the reason expressed by the uh, mother here was sort of a generalized concern and that that uh, was not satisfactory. The judge also said this, I think it's important to bear this in mind for people who are in this very difficult and, uh, circumstance, and there would be many people who would be in this spot. The judge said this, parents who attempt to create fear in the mind of a child by suggesting that the child is at risk uh, by being in the care of the other parent without any objective justification for doing so are not acting in the child's best interests. Hmm. Such parents who take this approach risk jeopardizing their own position uh, for maintaining whatever parental responsibilities they enjoy. So that, I think, is a warning uh, to people about how they're behaving uh, in these really trying times. And we should remember that uh, these kind of family law decisions involving children are not al analyzed from the point of view of, that's my right to have the, my child. It's not analyzed from a parental rights perspective. That's not how law works in Canada. Mm -hmm. The consideration is always what is in the best interest of the child, yes. not the parents. Uh, and so what the judge is saying there is that if you as a parent are, are you know, doing things like uh, trying to make your young child fearful about going, uh, returning uh, to another parent's home in accordance with a uh, court order uh, and that there isn't a compelling objective reason for doing so, um, a court may draw the conclusion that um, you are failing to act in the best interests of your child by doing that. And the result may be uh, an order that it's not in the child's best interest uh, to continue to be in an environment where that's going on. Um, so that's, I think, a really important warning uh, for people um, uh, that uh, the two takeaways here are, first of all, a generalized concern is not a reason for failing to comply with a court order, right? That's not to say that there could be some circumstance where a person would be justified in going in and asking for a change. Like, let's say uh, there was something objective. If the other parent, for example, is actually diagnosed with COVID-19, right? Yes, yes. You know, you say, okay, look, there's an actual specific reason why, you know, I just can't return the child at 5 p.m. on Friday to the parent who's, you know, at home having been diagnosed with it. But it's not enough to have a generalized concern that, well, somebody's, you know, somebody else who lives in the household might have been exposed. Uh, that's not going to do it. And whatever you do as a parent, this is the second takeaway, you, you shouldn't be trying to instill some fear in your child uh, that somehow they're going to be in uh, danger if they go back and uh, see, the other, uh, see the other parent. Just don't do that. Hmm. Um, and so the judge concluded that, look, what was going on here didn't need to be dealt with on an urgent basis. This wasn't a basis to change the uh, court order and admonished the uh, parties to, um, to go back uh, and comply with the order, setting out uh, that, uh, that general principle that there has to be some specific reason, not just a generalized concern that's not going to get your custody order changed. 
uh, and that absent some something specific, not just a generalized concern, not only should you be complying with the uh, court order, uh, but you shouldn't be doing things to try and instill fear in your own uh, children. Indeed. Really important takeaways there for parents. And we should know that is independent of whether the concerns are honestly held, because I'm sure many parents do hold genuine, deeply felt concerns, but absent some rational reason to do so, that's not sufficient to impart that on the child, yes? You're exactly right. All right. That's, I think, uh, that's the message. So comply with the court orders, and, uh, you know, if there's a specific reason, go and make an application. Uh, Don't just fail to return the child when you're required to. Michael Mulligan, thank you so much for the benefit of your knowledge and insight this week, as well as all other weeks when you join us during the second half of a second hour on a Thursday. Thank you and stay safe. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. Bye now. Thank you. Michael Mulligan with Legally Speaking from Mulligan Defense Lawyers every Thursday here at CFAX 1070.